Can we all say Hosanna together? Hosanna. 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 What a wonderful time to be together as a church as we come into Holy Week. We celebrate this incredible time, this incredible gift that God has given us, this, this gift of worship, this gift of salvation, this gift of glory. Our scripture reading today is Mark's account of Palm Sunday. That is the day of Jesus's celebrated arrival in Jerusalem. And it comes from Mark chapter 11, beginning in the first verse, verses one through 10. If you would please read along on the screens behind me or along in your bulletin or in your own Bible, just please read along with me. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and to Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let him go, let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As we come before you today saying, Hosanna, help us to remember, O oh Lord, that you are indeed our king and that your plan is unfolding before our eyes. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for it is in the name of your son, our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray, amen. Now, many of you all may remember that several years ago, San Antonio was proud to host the NCAA Men's Basketball College Final Four. And now this year, we're proud hosts once again of the whole NCAA Women's College Basketball Tournament. And I want to say that I am particularly proud this year because the South Carolina Gamecocks from my home state, led by Coach Dawn Staley, are the number one seed in the women's tournament. I think that's great. I would have loved to have had them here today or next week, but unfortunately with COVID restrictions, they can't go much out of the arenas or their hotels. But I think it is fantastic that they are here. They're number one in the tournament. They've already made it to the Sweet 16, beating Ber uh, Mercer and Oregon State, and they'll be playing Georgia Tech this afternoon. Now, for many reasons, it's exciting just to make it to the tournament at all. And to make it this far to the Sweet 16, that is a huge deal. But for the Gamecocks, who've been here before, getting here is not enough. They want to win the whole thing. And for them, it's not just about how you start, 
It's about how you finish. I have a good friend named Rick who is a very serious triathlete. He's competed in triathlons all over the world. He's competed in the Ironman in Hawaii, in, uh, in uh, Australia, and in North America. And one of the things that's interesting that Rick told me is he said, you have to psych yourself up for every race because in every triathlon, in every big race, you start off with this huge crowd, but you always seem to finish alone. You start off with a huge crowd, but you always finish alone. That's a pretty apt description of Holy Week for Jesus. He started with this huge crowd, but then he finished alone. As Mark wrote, Jesus entered Jerusalem and many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This huge crowd greeted Jesus when he came into Jerusalem but he still finished alone on the cross. One friend had betrayed him. One friend denied even knowing him. His other friends abandoned him and his own nation had rejected him. The praises of Hosanna, Hosanna turned into cries of crucify him, crucify him. Now we know that Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was not a random happenstance. It was part of God's plan. As a matter of fact, we've been studying the fact that over the last few weeks, he had told the disciples that we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and they'll deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and they will spit on him and they will flog him and they will kill him. But then after three days, he will rise. This is all part of God's plan. And before we get too deep, I want you to notice just how, how detailed God's plan is. Jesus says, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter into it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Then say, the Lord has need of it and I will send it back here immediately. Listen to that level of detail. That is exactly what happened. Nothing here is left to chance. And as we consider this plan so carefully thought through, so carefully prepared by the Lord, we should wonder what its purpose is. And of course, this plan was designed to do two things. First, it was designed to expose how far humanity has fallen from God and how much we need forgiveness. Think about that. This plan was designed to expose how far humanity's fallen from God and how much we need forgiveness. Between Palm Sunday and Good Friday, the depth of humanity's rebellion against God was fully exposed. God's own children betrayed him, denied him, slandered him, tortured him, and finally killed him. 
the passion of Jesus Christ is a vivid reminder of how we have rejected God, of how casually, how often we ignore, deny, betray, and then finally fail our Lord. This event exposed our violence, not only towards God, but it also exposed our violence toward one another. I mean, here was Jesus, a compassionate, sinless, innocent man. And yet his crucifixion proved that human beings will run over anyone to have their own way. Even if we believe ourselves to be too civilized for crucifixion, our callousness to poverty, to injustice to the unborn, prove our cultural indifference to human life. And yet this plan was also designed to illustrate a more profound truth. And that profound truth is that it was designed to show people how far God was willing to go to prove his love for us. The passion of Jesus is a reminder that even if we fail, God's love is stronger than our failure. That was God's plan. But a plan is just a plan. It's just an idea, it's just a blueprint. It's just a starting point. It's only the beginning. What the human race needed was not just a strong beginning. What the human race needed was a strong finish. And so Jesus began to put the plan in action. Jesus said, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And that was his signal that it was go time. And just as God planned it, Jesus entered Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, just as the prophet Zechariah had foretold centuries before. And you know what? The crowd was with him. Everything was going perfectly. It was a great, strong beginning. But at this point, I want to challenge you with a couple of what-if scenarios. What if Jesus on Palm Sunday had looked around and thought to himself, you know what? I have the support of the people. If I played this right, I could rally them and I could force the religious leaders to come to the table and negotiate a compromise. And then we could forge an alliance and leverage that power into pressure on the Romans. What if Jesus had decided to take that political path? Or what if he had run or hidden or fought off the guards in the Garden of Gethsemane so that he could live to fight another day? Or what if at his trial, Jesus had begged for mercy and said, you know what, this is getting out of hand. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cause so much trouble. And then he had retracted his offensive statements so that he could go and live his life in peace. Or what if when challenged by Pilate, he had called down legions of angels in a blitzkrieg of shock and awe to cow the Romans and humiliate the scribes and the priests and the Pharisees and to show himself in all of his glory and terrible judgment. What if he had done that? If he had done any of those things, 
then God's plan would have come to naught. Because God's plan needed more than a a good beginning. It required a faithful finish. On Palm Sunday, Jesus reached a decision point. He could be obedient to God and trust God's plan, a plan that involved rejection, shame, pain, and death, or he could ride the approbation of the people. You see, when he got to Jerusalem and went through Holy Week, he had a choice. He could either choose the cross or the crowd. And before we trick ourselves into believing that this was an easy decision, just ask yourself, how often have I chosen the way of the crowd over the way of the cross? Satan offered Jesus this very temptation in the wilderness. He could take this beginning and he could become the Messiah that everyone, the crowd and even his disciples expected him to be. All he had to do was to step slightly off of God's plan and go his own way. But that's not what happened. Out of his own great love for us, And out of his love for his father, Jesus finished the plan and chose the cross. And he did it to show us how far God was willing to go to prove his love for us. In spite of our rebellion and fear. In spite of our desire always to choose our way over his way. Mark tells us that on Good Friday, on that cross, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And standing by was a Roman officer, a centurion. And when this centurion saw that Jesus had breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. This statement wasn't a statement about Jesus' miraculous birth. It wasn't a statement about his power to walk on water or to heal the sick or cast out demons. It wasn't even a statement about his ability to raise the dead. This was a statement about Jesus' faithfulness. The true identity of the Son of God was revealed by the Son of Man's obedience. The Roman soldier was the first human to see clearly something that the mob did not understand. That neither the charisma to dazzle crowds nor the might to destroy armies makes one God's son. Rather, the son of God is the person 100% surrendered to the father, ready to give everything for him. And what we see is that he is the son of God who gave his life for humanity. And he is the son of man who gave his life for God. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. How many times have we seen number one seeds upset by underdogs? How many baseball teams have lost because they left 
necessary runners on base. Jesus knew that the finish line is even more important than the starting line. Partial obedience or almost finishing would not work. He had to go all the way in his obedience to the Father. And that's why Jesus finished God's plan. Here's something we need to ask ourselves. When it comes to following Christ, are we merely starters or are we finishers? Becoming a Christian seems relatively easy. Acknowledge to God that you are a sinner and receive by faith the free gift of eternal life that Christ provided by his own shed blood. You can't work for your salvation nor do anything to qualify for it. God gives it freely to all that recognize their need and trust in Christ alone. But then comes the hard part hanging in there as a Christian in a world that is hostile towards God and his people. The world constantly dangles in front of you all that it has to offer to distract us from the way of God. From within, the flesh entices us to forsake Christ and gratify our desires. The enemy hits you with temptation after temptation. And the real test of faith is will you follow through? The book of Hebrews says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Each of us has a race that God is asking us to run. Now, he's not asking me to run your race, and he's not asking you to run my race. The Bible says, rather, that let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There are certain things I can do. There are certain things you can do. And there were certain things that only Jesus could do. But God has set a race before each of us. And I think a basic part of all of our races is this. Will you hide your personal faith? Or will you take it public? Will you learn the good news and share it with others? Will you find ways to serve, not only in the church, but by becoming a missionary, taking Christ's love beyond the church, to the poor, to the lost, to the hurt, to the lonely? Will you set aside time to study God's word and pray and worship? And will you speak out on behalf of justice and holiness and live in such a way that people see it and they see a difference in the way you live? Whatever your race may be, whatever your course may be, will you run it with endurance? And will you give it everything that you have? This morning in the sacrament of baptism, we not only asked Becky and Colby if they were willing 
to raise their child up to run this race. But we all said that we would be a part of helping Thomas to run his race. Are we willing to help one another run our races? Jesus went to the cross alone. He finished alone, but that does not have to be our story. Because we know that we, as the people of God, will never finish the race alone because he has said that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And we need him from starting line to finish line because we don't really understand what it means to give our lives to God or to pray, thy will be done. And we're never really going to understand it until we see and feel the gravity of the cross. The point is we will never understand the meaning of discipleship until we ourselves understand the choice that Jesus made. The choice to follow God all the way. The choice of the cross over the crowd. Jesus did not exploit his identity but humbled himself and went to the cross as a man to encourage us in our most challenging moments. He didn't choose the easy way out because he wants us to know that he understands how much he's asking of us, how much he's asking of plain, ordinary people when he calls us to take up our cross and follow him. He wants us to understand that he understands the pain and the fear and the loneliness because he went through it all first. And Jesus also wants us to understand what it means to trust God and to trust God for the joy that was set before him for which he endured the cross. He knew that it would all be worth it. It reminds me of a story I heard many years ago about a little boy who was told by his doctor that he could save his sister's life by giving her a blood transfusion. The uh, six-year-old girl was near death, a victim of disease, from which, a disease from which the boy had made a marvelous recovery two years earlier. Her only chance, the doctor said, was a blood transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the illness. And since the two children had the same rare blood type, the boy was an ideal donor. And when the doctor asked him if he would like to give his blood for his sister, the boy hesitated. He thought about it for a good long minute. His lower lip started to tremble. And then he said, sure, doc, I'll give my blood for my sister. And soon the two children were wheeled into the, uh, into the doctor's office Mary, pale and thin, Johnny, her brother, robust and the picture of health. And neither spoke, but when their eyes met, Johnny smiled. And as his blood siphoned into Mary's veins, one could almost see new life coming into her tired body. The ordeal was almost over when Johnny's brave little voice broke the silence and he said, Doc, when do I die? It was only then that the doctor realized what the moment of hesitation, the trembling of the lip, had meant earlier. The little brother actually thought that in giving his blood to his sister, he was giving up his life. And in that brief moment, he'd made his great decision. 
Jesus made his great decision to give his life for ours and finish what he started. And the centurion said, truly, this man was the son of God. What would people say of us? Have we started strong? Will we finish strong? Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, we pray that as your people, we would, number one, feel your presence as we run the course of our race so that we may endure all of the challenges that you set before us. But Lord, we also look to your son who is the pioneer and perfecter, the, the author and finisher of our faith, knowing that we will fail, we will stumble, but because of him, our race will be completed. Lord, he lived the life that we can never live and he endured the death that we could never endure so that we may enjoy the life that you created us to have with you. We thank you, O oh Lord, that for him it was not enough to start your plan, but to complete it. And so we ask, O oh Lord, that as we move through this holy week, you would remind us not only of our need of salvation, but of the love of the author and finisher of our faith. It is in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen.